God is good. And all the time. Okay. Somehow I'm going to have to get you guys to come down from a landing after listening to Luke. This is a little more basic. And uh, I really, really was enthralled with what he shared. But aren't we glad all that nonsense isn't true? Aren't you glad that there is a Jesus Christ and there is that one word that starts with T, truth. I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. Okay. Um, Saul proves to us that a person can start out really, really, really good and crash and burn because that's exactly what he did. Um, and then we have David. And David started out very good, and he continued to live it. Um, why? Why did he absolutely, was he able to hang on to that and grow and become the man that he became? Uh, and what is he noted for? A man after God's own heart. And uh, what wouldn't I give to have God say that of me? Isn't that, isn't that right? Wouldn't that be awesome if God would say that person is a person after my own heart? That would be incredible. Oh, you, you guys aren't chasing me. You got the mic. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to look at David. Yesterday we looked at Saul. Um, Saul's life can be somewhat discouraging. Uh, so I want to I take a look at David today. Um, yeah, if I can find my place here. And I'm going to start out by reading a little bit about the first part of David's life. It's in chapter 6. I am going to read the first 14 verses. Um, I want you to keep this in the back of your mind, this one thing. Why did David live that life when Saul could not? What was the difference? So keep that bouncing around in the back of your mind. And I'm going to read through this. It says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his son. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, you shall anoint me for me, one that I name for you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peacefully? And he said, Peacefully. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. Then he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited to the sacrifice. So it was when they came... Then he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at the appearance or at his height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks in the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him come before Saul. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen him. Then Jesse brought all the sons before him. I'm going to skip down a couple verses. 
uh, made all seven sons come before him. And then verse 11, it says, And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet one, the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. So he sent and brought him in, and he was ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for he is the horn of oil, and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Okay, so David at this point is pretty much where Saul started out. Um, So I've got a couple questions um, for you. And the first one is, did Saul have a choice? Or was he simply predestined to what happened in his life? Michael, what's your thoughts? From a scientific perspective, science can't explain free will, as in there's no, science can't prove that there's free will. Everything in science points to determinism, um, but, I, but I do believe that Saul had a choice um, because he was made in the image of God, um, and I think that's part of the way that we're made in the image of God, is we have that agents of change. Okay, that is interesting, and I did not know that fact that science can't prove that. Anyone else want to weigh in on that? And I'm going to read a little piece out of this book that I find quite interesting and uh, might not really contradict what he said, but it might bring some more thinking out. And it just simply says, The Almighty Living God turned to Gabriel and gave a command, Go, Take these two portions of my beings. There are two destinies waiting. To each unborn destiny, give one portion of myself. Carrying two glowing, glowing, pulsating lights of life, Gabriel opened the door into the realm between the two universes and disappeared. He had stepped into the mall of unborn destinies. Gabriel spoke, I have two portions of the nature of God. The first is a very cloth of his nature. When wrapped about you, It clothes you with the breast of God as water surrounds a person in the sea. Who is he talking about? Saul or David? David? Who is he talking about? Saul or David? Okay, we'll go a little further. When wrapped around you, it clothes you with the breath of God. As water surrounds a person in the sea, so will his very breath envelop you. With this, the divine breath, you will have his power, power to do enemies, shame the enemies of God, and accomplish his work on the earth. Here is the power of God as a gift. Here is the immersion into the spirit. Who's he talking about? Who fits that definition? Okay, let me read a little bit further. A destiny step forward. This portion of God is for me. True, replied the angel. And remember, whoever receives such a great portion of God will surely be known by many. Ere your earthly pilgrimage is done, 
your true character will be known, yea, it will be revealed by means of this power. Such is the destiny of all who want to wield this power, for it touches only the outer person, affecting the inner person not one whit. Outer power will always unveil the inner resources or the lack thereof. The first destined one received the gift and stepped back. Who's he talking about? Saul. Okay. I have here the second of two elements of the living God. This is not this is not a gift, but an inheritance. A gift is worn on the outer person, an inheritance is planted a seed. Yet even though it is such a small planting, this planting grows and in time fills all the inner person. Another des- destiny steps forward. I believe this element is to be mine for my earthly pilgrimage. True, replied the angel again. I must tell you that what has been given to you is a glorious thing, the only element in the universe that can change the human heart. Yet even this element of God cannot accomplish its task, nor grow and fill your entire inner being, unless it is compounded well. It must be mixed lavishly with pain, sorrow, and crushing. The second destined one received the inheritance and stepped back. Beside Gabriel sat the angel recorder. He dutifully entered into his ledger the recorded of these two destinies. And who shall these destinies become after they go through the door to the visible universe, asked recorder. Gabriel replied softly, each in his time shall be a king. Um, So when you look at it from that perspective, how do you explain the whole thing of God giving somebody that kind of gift and that kind of, but not something that goes into his heart, if I can say it that way? Um, Any thoughts on that? Um, when they find David and how the verses that you read is 16, is it? Uh, verse 7, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, but because I rejected him, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Saul was chosen by man particularly for the outward appearance. He was tall and handsome. David, he's the, he's the little, you know, shepherd boy, the runt of the litter, but God's already acknowledging his heart before he even gave him the power. I think that quote from the book really, I think, addresses that. So what was your original question? I hope I hit that. I don't know. Comments. Okay. How do you explain that? I mean, think about that. How do you explain that? And I don't want to stay very long. I'm going to move on. See, God knows the beginning from the end. And he knows every single one of your endings. He knows my ending. He knows what's going to happen. And uh, he knew Saul would take the steps he took. Okay, but Saul was given power. He was given authority. Um, Did Saul ever lose that anointing? Yes or no? And why or why not? Dominic. All right, someone raise their hand back here. Well, um, 
Well, I'm not sure uh, if this has to do with him losing his admit, which I think he did after a while. But I think that he did not exactly have a choice. I think that he wanted to use Saul and David as an example to, like, what we're talking about today. You use this as an example in basically everything. You know what I mean? I think when God picked Saul, he knew that he was already going to fail. And he knew that. So he picked Saul and David to show the differences between them. And uh, so we could have these discussions about that. And I, that's my opinion on it. So. And that's a very interesting thought. Um, and uh, this story makes a very, very good example of two people and what happened. So what, what about Jamin's thought of God picked him because he knew he would fail? Does that give him a choice? Did he have a choice? I see some heads nodding. Why or why not? Why, why? Someone want to enlarge on that just a little bit. Okay, we got a hand back there. Um, it's very interesting. I personally want to believe in free choice, um, but God does have a, a kind of a pattern of picking seconds. You have the first Adam, the last Adam. You know, the first Adam that failed, the last Adam, which is Jesus Christ. Um, Jacob and Esau. Esau is born first. Jacob ends up being the one that continues to... Uh, you know, God's God's people. Um, and then David, who comes after him. Um, and even uh, whether or not he had a free choice, um, I think God can definitely use people to... to so his power can be um, displayed, just like... I mean, he did it in Pharaoh in Roman science about that, too. Um, and it even kind of talks about the argument, you know, whether... Uh, um, Paul was kind of talking, you know, like, uh, you, know, you may ask, you know, how is this fair? And, you know, but I ask you, who are you to, uh, who are you to compete or to challenge the Lord of all, you know, Lord Almighty? Um, so, yeah, that's my, I guess that's my thought. Go ahead. Um, I do tend to believe in free will. But I also believe, I believe both can be true. Um, I believe Saul was destined for that, but I believe, I do believe he chose that destiny. Um, I really like how that book brings that out, that he chose that. So, yeah, I do believe both can be true. Um, it's something I've thought a lot about, of, thought a lot about, and neither one by itself just seems to quite work. Um, but God, in his sovereign, um, he, since he knows everything, since he knows the end from the beginning, um, he knows, well, I mean, kind of like what he said, that God knew, kind of what Jamin said about God knew that Saul was going to fail. I mean, obviously God knows everything. Um, and I guess if, God would have known that he wouldn't have chosen for that role, <laughs> but I do believe that he had the he had a choice in the matter, but he chose it and so was destined for it. Okay, and there's a, there's a lot of interesting. We got a hand over here. There's a lot of interesting things that we got about this, and I'm not going to take too much time in this because I want to move on. Um, 
And to throw something else in the mix, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was crucified before the earth was made. Are you aware of that? So Jesus Christ was crucified before the foundations of the world, before Adam sinned. So he knew that was going to happen. It was in his master plan. I don't know how to explain that. Other than he is sovereign, and I will trust him. I don't know what else to say. Go ahead. You kind of stole my <laughs> stole my point right there because I was about to mention it. <laughs> Sorry about I was, that. Because in Genesis it prophesies that there's going to be a savior, and then everything else is through the Bible. Um, Isaiah prophesies there's going to be a savior and all. But even when Jesus is in the garden, he goes and he prays to God, and he's like, "Lord, let this cut pass from me, but if it's your will." He's like, "Christ was still predestined to die on the cross, but then at the same time, Jesus is like, I will choose to do my Father's will in that.' So it was, and I would, that's probably for me probably one of the better best examples to kind of give it to where someone can be predestined but still yet choose to do the Father's will if that's His will. So. Okay, thank you for that, and I want to really briefly go back to this thing. Did Saul lose his anointing? What does the Bible teach us? What does the Bible teach on that? And, and when I say that, I see people nod their head. He did lose it. Lynn, uh, Lynn needs a mic. She's back here. Um, but what does the Bible tell us about anointing, about calling? Go ahead, Lynn. I don't have a comment. I have a question. Um, okay. You asked earlier, and maybe I missed this, so I apologize if I did. Did you make a distinction um, whether was was Saul given a choice in his rejection of the kingship where he was rejected from it or did he make a choice to receive the anointing? Did you make a distinction there? Are you talking about two choices or or one? You mean as far as um, did he have a choice or? Yeah, I'm wondering did he he have a choice on the kingship? They're kind of two total separate subjects. They are, and I didn't know if you made a distinction. No, they're, they're two complete separate subjects. Okay. But I think there's some importance in us to understand the thing of calling. From And uh, so in saying that, did Saul lose his anointing? Does that go away? Someone said no. Michael, go ahead. In, in the New Testament... I think it's Paul who says that the gift and calling of God are irrevocable. However, also in 1 Samuel, uh, when Saul, the witch of Endor, uh, and calls up Samuel, however that worked, ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary. So is there a difference? I guess I'll turn this back to a question to you. Is there a difference between... The Lord's uh, presence and his anointing. That's a very good question. Is there a difference between the Lord's presence and the Lord's anointing? He lost the Lord's presence. There's no question about that. But did he actually lose his anointing? Go ahead. This isn't to Mike's last point, but about Saul losing the anointing. Um, It says in chapter 16 that you were just reading... In verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And then we know that David was anointed as king. So I think Saul did lose the anointing as king over Israel. That was given to David. But that doesn't mean that Saul wasn't anointed for a purpose 
from God still. Not as king of Israel anymore, though. Okay. I appreciate all of them thoughts. Now I'm going to bring out one more. Why, years later, did David say, touch the Lord's anointing? I will not touch that. Was that just David? Or was there something a little bit deeper than that? And I I don't... uh, Is this on? David acknowledged that Saul was anointed, is what I was saying. As you were, you were just saying that, right? David himself acknowledged later on that, that right. Saul was still anointed, yeah. That was... To my, my, go ahead. When Jesus uh, was on the earth and was doing miracles and feeding uh, the multitudes after, I think it was after he fed the 5,000, the people planned to take him and forcefully make him king. Jesus knew that that was his calling, that he was the king of the Jews, yet he withdrew himself into knowing that his destiny was the very thing that they were uh, trying to put on him. The realization both with David and, of course, with Jesus, that though they knew the purpose of God on their life, yet they would not take it into their own hands to bring it about at their own time, but they were willing to surrender even the very purpose of God on their life uh, until God would bring it to pass. And, and that is a very good uh, explanation. What, what created David? And I think that's, uh, I, I wish the Bible would give us a little more history on, on him. I can surmise things. We can all surmise things and, and try to decide, okay, what happened with him in the wilderness when he was tending sheep? What, uh, what are some of the things that actually made him the person that he was? Was it just God's calling? Or how much did it have to do with him? And, and so on. Um, but there was something that set a foundation somewhere in David's life that was incredible and uh, can we get a little bit of an idea what that is um, I gave you a, a little reading I don't know if I still have mine here with me or not but as I walked down the sidewalk I fell into a hole or there was a hole in the sidewalk and I fell in and it goes through this five paragraphs and uh, Obviously, we all want to come to the place where we're simply walking down a different sidewalk because Jesus Christ has control of our life. Because we have let him take care of the stuff and we have owned our issues, our own problems. Uh, that, that becomes very important. Uh, there's a couple of things that uh, happened in the wilderness when he was tending sheep um, that are obvious. What are they? He killed a lion and a bear, okay. And with killing a lion and a bear, why? Responsibility. That was his job. And how important is that to each one of us that we see to it that we do the little things? In the New Testament, it says uh, if we can't be faithful in the small, who's going to give us big? 
Well, that was one thing. What, what are some other things that happen in the wilderness that we know? There's a lot we don't know. Was he? Okay. Okay. Um, that brings up something that uh, can become very important in life when we think about journey. Every one of us are on a journey. Remember what happened a little bit later where he could somebody? A lion came after me and a bear, and this is what happened. Open the door for Saul to say, okay, go out there and kill Goliath. Does that, does that carry some bearing on that? Hey, the Bible, the New Testament, Jesus says that a good shepherd does give his life for the sheep. So there is that. Okay, I'm going to move on here just a little bit more. Uh, a couple, couple things that I find very, very interesting. Samuel came to anoint him. Um, he was out taking care of sheep. How important was he to that family? Almost zero. Is that a fair guess? He wasn't even important enough for them to bring him to that meal although all the sons of Jesse were supposed to be there. What are the youngest in the family? First of all, youngest in here, raise your hands. Youngest of the family, all raise your hand. Okay, everybody look at them. Uh, okay, what are the youngest known, and known for? What was that? Okay. Being annoying? Okay. <laughs> Not being responsible. The best of the best. Thank you. I'm the youngest. <laughs> but look at that. What kind of chance did David have? What kind of chance did that man have to become probably the best king that ever was? When you look at where he started, the youngest. Never had anybody to practice on in leadership. Um, was not important in his family. That might have hurt. You know, so, the, so that's where he comes from. But look at what he became. Um, <clears throat> so he spent a lot of time out in the wilderness. My guess is that it was out there by himself under the stars day after day after day that something connected between his heart and God. And and that is become something that's um what is the biggest or main thing in our life that keeps us from becoming a David? What's your thoughts on that? Laziness, that's a good thought. But I think there's something more than that. Pride. Pride? Okay. Fear. Fear. Not 
That is very big. Thank you for that. In one word, is it not distractions? And America today has, I don't think there's been a generation in the face of the earth that has as much distraction as it is today. And the fact of it is, it's not just you guys that feel that. It's him, it's me, it's him. Um, And what are some of the distractions? Obvious, here's one of them. Um, but there's others, there's business, there's, there's other, there's a lot of other things. But let me ask you this question. If you're driving down the road, you need to meet somebody and you get there and you're parked beside the road and at the gas station or whatever, and that other person is late, what do you do? Nobody wants to say. <laughs> What's that? Check your phone. You get on Facebook. You research something. Is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything wrong with that? No. There's not. A cell phone in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with it. So how do we figure out where they become... um, How can I ask this question? How can we figure out... What has become a distraction and get rid of it? How, how long do I have? What time do I go to? I didn't even look at the time when I started. Okay. How do we figure out what is the distraction? So I'm, I'm going to say this. There's nothing wrong with Facebook. There's nothing wrong with, uh, and I don't know all the things that, are on this social media stuff because I don't do a lot of it. do some of it. Uh, so there's Facebook, there's, there's uh, YouTube, there's um, all the different platforms where you visit with people all day long and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with them. Now, there is things on Facebook that are very damaging. One of them is porn. Very damaging. It destroys people. Um, But what about YouTube? Is there a danger with that? I see a few heads nod. Why? What is it about it that we need to be aware of? And see, when I I look at a a group like this, um, I see potential. I see people that without question love the Lord and are wanting to serve him. I have been blessed by the fact that you guys aren't on cell phones very much. They're laying here on the table, but, you know, I'm beautiful. And I applaud you for that. But you are the next generation. You will be the leaders of the next church. Um, you have to learn to navigate this life. You have to learn to navigate this. Um, You won't survive if you don't. You will, if you don't learn how to handle that instead of letting it handle you, you will become a Saul. Is that a fair statement? Any feedback? 
Dominic? Um, so I think, yeah, I, th I think distraction is a big part of it. And I think the, the most boiled down, um, the, the question that you were asking about anointing, I think, I think it ties into that where um, I think the difference, the, the one difference that stands out to me between, between David and Saul and the way that their anointing shaped or, or, or led them is that um, the anointing that Saul received, he received outside of a context of intimacy, received it in, in a way to where, sort of like the description you read in Tale of Three Kings, where, where it, was, it was something to lead from um, in, in a way that allowed him to wield it for whatever purposes he had. Um, it was something that was out in front. It was something that um, he wanted to utilize to win favor. Um, you see that in, in, in him asking Samuel to, Samuel to bless him even after um, his lineage had been cut off, basically. He's like, but still, please honor me in front of the people. He was using it as, as a front man for his own gain, for his own purposes. Right. And what we see with David is David was cultivating a love for the heart of God, a love for the law of God, that when his, when his anointing came, it came in a context, and it, came, um, it, 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 had, it had a role to play that wasn't the front man. Um, his anointing fit in an identity that was already established um, from his faithfulness, from his pursuit of the heart of God, that allowed him to, to first and foremost um, follow God, and not his anointing. His anointing was the will of, of God, and you see that in him honoring Saul, um, where, where it wasn't, it wasn't um, a my anointing is greater than your anointing. It was, no, my anointing is validation of the favor of God um, on my life. And because, it's, because that validation is coming from the Father and not my anointing, I don't have to feel challenged and threatened by someone else's anointing. I can, I can walk in, um, in, in peace and in rest because, because that anointing is, is, is in its proper place. It's not, it's, not the, it's not the gold medal that I'm holding up and being led by and letting it steer my life. It's, it's me responding to, um, to the heart of God, I guess. So I guess with that distraction... Distraction is all about placement, right? It's where we, what we're, what we're looking at, what we allow it to lead. Um, and I think, I think David, David had his priorities right in that um, his anointing was always being subjected to, to the heart of God. And, and, and his, his utmost desire was not to utilize his anointing to, um, to lead, uh, but his, his desire was to follow the heart of God. That, that was very well said. I really, really appreciate that. Just um, kind of open it up. Any, any other comments? <clears throat> Lynn? Lynn? Thank you, Luke. <laughs> I almost got distracted by our history of um, <laughs> previous conversations. <laughs> Um, Dom, that was really good. Something about having that um, anointing connect to intimacy. 
made me think about the fact that one of the things that distracts us, or maybe, you know, let's just, since we're using social media, let's just pick on that for a minute, um, is because intimacy with people is also a craving that we have and, and a need that we have for community. And I think it can be really, just honestly speaking, it can be really difficult to know how to order those priorities. Um, like with David's life, and, and I've been noticing that with Saul in several different places, like when he didn't tell his uncle what had went down. To me, that was pretty telling. Um, oh. he, didn't, he didn't have that community. He didn't have that brotherhood. Uh, and other places, too, where he's, you know, sought his own counsel or <laughs> what he wanted to hear. Uh, and David, David did kind of flew in the face of that. Uh, his friendships, the men that were so loyal to him throughout the time when he was being pursued by Saul. It was very different from how Saul had gathered men around him. Uh, and so, but back to the original thing of knowing how to pursue intimacy. It's because I, I like action steps, I suppose. Um, I like to know, okay, so there's something here about intimacy. What do I do with this? And um, so I don't know your name, but you mentioned quiet time with, with God. And I do think there's something to the heart of that that David understood, which was be still and know that I am God. Draw apart um, and understand that our first need in intimacy is with the Father. Um, and everything else gets added after that. And I think that would help us to know when we're being distracted by social media and when we're not, or when we're being distracted by work or career or whatever it is, is um, intimacy with the Father, uh, withdrawing apart to be still and know is one of our first and foremost needs. Okay, thank you for that. Um, The reality of... Your life and distractions are simply this. You are the only one that can fix it. Nobody else can. It is 100% personal with every one of you. Other people can encourage you, but on whether you allow distractions to run your life or whether you allow Jesus Christ. So that, that, that's, that's your decision. Um, and I expect to see a lot of people that go the right direction here. And I think that's awesome. Okay, any other thoughts? I'm not 100% sure where to go from here. Uh, we could go several different places. So uh, I was just doing some quick math. And... Uh, so let's just say the average millennial spend 12 hours on their phone a day, right? Right? That's what you said. But I figure we're not the average millennial, so we spend probably five hours on our phone a day. So I did 80 people in here, and I multiplied that times five. That's 400 hours right there. One day. What could all of us do with 400 hours? We could go clean up the entire city 400 hours. Like, we could do a lot of stuff with 400 hours in one day. If we deleted all, like, a safe or something like that, and we literally did something with our lives instead of sitting on our phones, 
what could we do with that? I mean, I, let's see, let's see. I spend probably an hour on YouTube a day. I do motivational videos and stuff like that, and I should probably quit that. So I'm going to quit that. And what can I do with that extra hour? I can read my Bible. I can journal. I can meditate. So stuff like that, that should really be a motivation for y'all just to quit using your phone, quit playing video games, all of that stuff like that. Like that should really just be like you think about that. It's like, all right, that's a lot of time. I mean, the three to four times you pick up your Bible a year, if that's what y'all do, because I figure most of us aren't just the average people. So you're probably going to pick up a Bible like 30 to a 300 times a year and we could do that like 600 times and i need to read my bible more i'm going to be honest so i hope that helped um i kind of rambled a little bit but anyway i'm glad you said that not me did you say no more youtube you know the fact of of me is powerful very powerful and thank you for that um but that's the reality is uh, uh, I need to move away from cell phones here fairly quick, but here's a question that you have to answer. Are you addicted? And if you are, what are you going to do about it? And uh, I'm going to leave it with that. Um, Is there any more thoughts on, on this, I guess, before I try to move on here? Are you raising your finger? Okay. <laughs> this may be slightly facetious, but how do you know that I'm not one of the people uh, predestined by the foreknowledge of God to be distracted? Don't take the rest of us down with you. Okay, let's go and look a little bit at the... What, what does it take to walk away from distractions? There, there's a certain tiny little thing that it takes. Um, what, what is that? Every day, multiple times a day, it is a choice. It is. And so you need to start making them choices. Um, the answer is not just stop distractions. That is not the answer. The end with the God of the universe. And when that connection gets stronger and stronger, it will kill addictions. And the reality of it is, there is addictions from internet, from what we face in our world today, that are powerful. If you're into any of that, it can be some of the gaming, it can be some of the TV shows you watch, it can be porn, it can be some of that kind of stuff. If you've got a problem, if you've got an addiction, get some help. There's a lot of people who can walk you through it. Um, But don't let that create a soul out of you because it can be broken. Um, Okay. I'm not sure we could go so many different places here. Um, There's a a lot of things that happen in, in uh, David's life. That, that thing that I read brought out something, and that is 
This needs to be, I can't remember exactly how that is worded, but it needs to be well compacted with pain. I don't know if it said it exactly that way, but that was David's life. So when you, when you, when you look at his life, why did Saul throw a spear at him? Was it his fault? Obviously, no. He had probably saved Saul's life multiple times. We can't say that for sure, but he was Saul's armor bearer. What? Someone tell me why Saul started fearing him. Jealousy. Jealousy. What was the song that was saying? David, his ten thousands. Saul says, what can he have but the kingdom? If he just would have understood that kingdom wasn't his to keep. And if he just simply would have early in his life done what God asked him to do, that his kingdom would have been established. Um, uh, not 100% sure where to go. What have I got? About 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes left. Okay. I am going to read a couple more things out of here that, that really bring out um, who David was and why he was that. So if, if we could just have the story of, of everything that happened in David's life. So Saul tried to kill him, threw javelins at him several times, he finally had to run. He was running for his life. How about uh, David? Um, this book brings out that no longer did mothers have to say that unless you behave yourself, you may come as a town drunk. Now they said you'll become as a, lion, a giant slayer. Behave or listen to the authority or you will become as a giant slayer. And David did not resist authority, but that was the stories. That was how many times did an arrow come whizzing past his head because somebody saw him and thought maybe they could get him and and get some peace with Saul. How many times did he crawl through bramble bushes and lay there while the soldiers walked past him? What happened? We don't have that story. But there was many, many, many years to the point that he finally said, um, I am despairing. You know, I'm not quoting the Bible. I'm just saying it in my words. I am just despairing in this whole thing. One day, Saul will kill me. And uh, I just need to go to the land of the Philistines. And then he goes to the land of the Philistines, and they try to kill him. Um, but he outsmarts him. By, there's all these things happen. But how many years was that? Um, Ten years? Twenty years? Of total, complete... Um, pain that David went through. What did it create? And uh, I'm going to read a little bit in here. It can do a better job than I can of explaining what happened in David's heart because of some of this. Um, Okay, it says, Why, David? Why? The place was another nameless cave. The men stirred about restlessly. Gradually and very uneasily they began to settle in. All were as confused as Joab, who had finally voiced their questions. Joab wanted to answer, and now. 
David should have seemed embarrassed or at least defensive. He was neither. He was looking past Joab like a man viewing another realm that only he could see. Joab finally walked directly in front of David, looked on him, and began roaring his frustration. Many times he almost speared you to death in his palace. I saw that with my own eyes. Finally you ran away. Now for years you have been nothing but a rabbit for him to chase. Furthermore, the whole world believes the lie he tells about you. He has come, the king himself, hunting every cave, pit, and hole on the earth to find you and kill you like a dog. But tonight you had him at the end of his own spear and you did nothing. Look at us. We're animals again. Less than an hour ago, you could have freed us all. Yes, we could be free right now. Free. And Israel too, she could be free. Why, David? Why did you not end these years of misery? There was a long silence. Men shifted again uneasily. We're not accustomed to seeing David rebuked. Because, said David very slowly, and with a gentleness that seemed to say, I heard it. Because once, long ago, he was not mad. He was young. He was great. <clears throat> great in the eyes of God and men. And it was God who made him king. God, not man. Joab blazed back, but now he is mad, and God is no longer with him. And David, he will kill you yet. This time it was David's answer that blazed with fire. Better he kill me than I learn his ways. Better he kill me than I become as he is. I will not practice the ways that cause kings to go bad. I will not throw spears, nor will I allow hatred to grow in my heart. I will not avenge. I will not destroy the Lord's anointed. Not now, not ever. Joab could not handle such senseless answer. He stormed out into the dark. That night, the men, that night, men went to bed on cold, wet stones and muttered about their leaders' distorted views of leadership to kings, especially mad ones. Angels went to bed that night, too, and dreamed in the afterglow of that rare, rare day that God might yet be able to give his authority to a trustworthy vessel. Could have that been created in David's heart without pain? What, what are your thoughts on that? Who orchestrated the pain that he went through? Could have that been God? Does he do that? Okay. And thinking about David and how well he was loved by the people. And uh, so he was playing his harp in front of King Saul. And Saul had a, a spear, a javelin, or whatever in his hand, and heaved it at him. And uh, David was apparently very quick. He's a man of war, tremendous fighter, and he dodged that spear and ran. Um, what if he would have just pulled that thing out of the wall and threw it back at Saul? Would he have been justified? At all? Yep. yep. Anyone else? I would say no. You'd say no? Okay. Amalekite comes to David saying, hey, I killed your guy. I killed Saul. And David 
weeps. I mean, he hears about Saul and Jonathan, but he weeps for Saul and says, um, oh, how the mighty have fallen. He calls him mighty. And I have to, I have to think he had that same, maybe not, he might, he's further along right, right then, but I have to believe that he had that thought, that same thought, that this is God's man who's been put here, and far be it for me to put my hand against him. So I, I'll just say no for him. Any, anyone else want to weigh in on this? And I'm going to bring this a little more personal now. Um, when you think of the fact that, that David was anointed by God to be king, the king that was in front of him really was unworthy anymore um, and was throwing spears at him. Now, have you ever had spears thrown at you? Are you sure? (laughs) Have you ever been unjustly accused? What did you do with that? Have you been in a situation where what you did was for the good of whatever the situation was, but somebody turned that around and just about destroyed you? How many people have been in that kind of a situation? You know, there's hands up all over the place. Um, Most of us, maybe I'll say if you haven't, you someday will. What do you do with it? And the question is, what did you do with it? And uh, there's there's a way that I, without question, agree with him. Yes, he would have been justified. Physically speaking, he would have been justified. Had he done that, could he become the king that he was? No. Even though he would have been justified. Isn't that a lesson to us? Christian needs a mic. Say my question. We, we get introduced to Nabal. Um, he's known to be a foolish man. Uh, and he opposes David. And I think there's, I don't know if you guys remember the context. David was going to go there in his own wrath, David's own wrath, slay him. And I can, I can see in many ways why he's justified. I mean, he's David. Nabal pretends that he doesn't know him. He pretends not to know his authority. Um, even, I think, slanders David's name. Um, but it was Abigail, a woman who, as Scripture says, is uh, discerning, I believe, who I think God uses to bring peace to David and say, hey, don't put blood on your hands this way. Your God, I'm paraphrasing now, but you're God's man, and you shouldn't be handling things this way. So I have to ask myself similar things when spears are thrown my way, and I want to throw them back. What is, I'm, I'm not my own. How would God want me to deal with this? Yeah, she saved him from a lot of problems. Now, if we take Saul right here, and we take David right here, and we stack up, the recorded sins in the Bible. Depends a little bit how you look at sin, but who stacked the highest? I'm going to say David. There's a lot of things that he did that were really, really stupid and downright crazy. Committed adultery, killed a man's husband, 
the things like numbering the people, the fact of just the very fact that uh, he defected to the land of the Philistines, that was a lack of faith. God had anointed him king. Saul wasn't going to kill him. Just there's just a lot of things he did like that. Now, why is it that he is called a man after God's own heart? And even though maybe, maybe not, he committed more sins than Saul. Why did Saul end up where he did? And why did David end up where he did? It was his actions after he committed the sin. He would um, go and repent. It kind of, and when you say that, it kind of reminds me of Judas portrayed Jesus, and well, Peter, Peter denied, but their actions were completely different in the response to how what they did. Peter went and wept, and, and then uh, told Jesus he loved him three times and repented, and Judas did not, and went and hanged himself. So I think it's the difference between the two is, I mean, we're all human, we're all sinful, um, but what what does Distinguishes distinguishes us from one another, from from Christians to non-Christians, or in this case, from uh, David and Saul, would be how David responded to his action, to his sins. He repented of them, and Paul uh, and Saul yeah. did not. Yeah, there was such a difference in the reaction; it wasn't even funny. King Saul said, "I have sinned." King David said, "I had sinned. I have sinned." But then King Saul says, "But." Still honor me before the people. David said, I have sinned and took 100% responsibility. Took everything that God dished out to him, no matter what. And there's just such a vast difference because of that. Okay, um, I'm going to give you some homework. And I'm going to have a short time tomorrow. I, I guess I still am. Yeah. Uh, I want to look at the whole thing of David and the tremendous love that he had for God. And, and he did. That is what separates him from so many people. David is an covenant man with a new covenant understanding. And I don't know how that worked, but he has it. It's everywhere through there. Um, but I want you to read Psalm 18. It's a fairly long psalm, but read it and read it carefully. Um, there's some things in there that are really, really amazing and really show the heart of David and, and what made him the person that he was and what every one of us can become and it's God's will that we become that. Okay, any more thoughts, questions? Okay, I'm going to turn you over to Michael. Michael.